This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for creating a blog, website, portfolio, or an online store. Create your own space today by visiting squarespace.com and use offer code TREK9 to save 10%. And also by TrekFan, where you'll explore new places, learn new things, and collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles, complete real-life mission objectives, and win great prizes. Put your love for Trek into action by visiting trekfan.org and help us move the world one step closer to the Star Trek future. Plus, if you'd like to support our programming personally, visit trek.fm slash donate to get our new alien badges and art prints featuring original illustration by Tobu Ushi. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. taking all these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our Star Trek books and comics show. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me again this week is my co-host Matthew Rushing. Matthew, it's good to be back on the show. We took a week off last week, and now we're back once again. And interesting thing that you told me yesterday, you said that you're going to be going to a concert this coming week, and it's Sanford and Son. You know, I didn't know Fred and Lamont had formed a band. They really have. It's good. Uh, you know, they they moved up to the east side, and that's what they did, <laughs> is they started a band together. Uh, it's fantastic. No, no, Chris. Uh, so are I'm you saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> are you saying that after they closed down the junkyard, they moved in next door to George and Wheezy Jefferson? Right, and they all started a band together. Uh, it's oh. it's really good. Yeah, um, that's that was that was their big move. And then, of course, you know they hit it big time with uh, their very first song, which was "Moving On Up," uh, <laughs> and it just went from there. So, you know, I can picture them being like you know like an old jazz standards group because don't you think kind of in the vein of say Ella Fitzgerald? Don't you think Aunt Esther could come in and do the vocals? Oh yeah, I mean, we're we're talking like hit records, solid gold <laughs> records here. Uh, so, uh, who knows what could have been uh, next for them? But uh, in all honesty, no, going to see <laughs> Mumford and Son. Uh, oh, next Mumford. Week, we were, okay, Mumford and Son. Yeah, <laughs> and I was I supposed confused. to go. Uh, you know, a uh, a long while back in in June. And uh, one of uh, their bass player had an aneurysm uh, and had to go to the hospital, have surgery. And so they canceled three of their shows. And finally, they are they didn't cancel the shows. They just postponed them for all the fans who bought tickets. So I was very thankful for that. So they are finally going to be back here uh, in Dallas, Texas on uh, Wednesday. So I'm excited to do that. Uh, it'll be it'll be a lot of fun taking one of my best friends and we're going to have a good time. So. That sounds like fun. All right, good. Sorry about the confusion there, by the way. I, yeah, that's I okay. I mean, it's, it's you know, they're so close in like musical stylings and <laughs> it's it's hard to not think that Sanford and Son is not Mumford and Son, you know, the English guys. Yeah. So. And updated for the yeah. 21st century, of course. Exactly. I mean. Yeah. All right. Just, yeah. 
Well, let's take a look backwards in time in terms of Star Trek. And we have a little bit of information about Keith DeCandido's The Klingon Art of War, which we talked about on the last show, I believe. But at that point, we just kind of had a basic blurb about it. Uh, Keith wasn't really talking about it at that point. But now he's come out on his blog and he's given us the full title, which is The Klingon Art of War, Ancient Principles of Ruthless Honor. And I, I like the fact that on the cover, it doesn't say that it's written by Keith. It just says that it's translated from the original Klingon by Keith R.A. DeCandido. Which is true, as, as we know with Shakespeare or any of the other great works of literature, you've never really read them until you've read them in the original Klingon. Um, for those who don't read Klingon, Keith has been you know kind enough to translate this from Kratak, son of Melind. So, uh, and, and and luckily, you know, Keith has has translated this from that original Klingon because I don't know about you, Chris, but my Klingon's pretty rusty. Uh, I only know a few phrases anymore. Uh, so I'm I'm glad that uh, you know Keith has done that for us and. What's nice is it really is some nice artwork that they're showing us, the cover and then this beautiful artwork here of a, a Klingon, uh, I think it's Kor, who refused to die in his prime, uh, looking really good, shooting off his disruptor while beheading somebody, it looks like, with a batleth. And not only that, but this artwork has wonderful 300 stylings of blood so well done, well done. Great artwork oh. for this, uh, you know, fantastic new Klingon nonfiction fiction book. Yeah, I think the Klingon language has at least three hundred different words for blood, don't they? Isn't that like snow and <laughs> kind of like how the Ferengi have what three hundred or so odd names for rain? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so yeah this looks it looks nice I, i'm wondering here I, I, this is interesting so you have kratach son of melind is this like a human klingon marriage is melind is her name melinda and she just changed it to melind to live on chronos so she could blend in well i mean and apparently yeah maybe uh you know but they usually only say the father's name so you know, it would be kind of weird to me if it was a Melinda that was a human, also apparently had a sex change operation, Chris. <laughs> well, you, a really weird Klingon family. You never know. You never know what goes on. It's really true. Who in knows? Star Trek. So, yeah, th this looks good, though. I'm looking forward to it. The page sample that we have here, the one with the artwork that you're talking about on it, says the ninth precept, die standing up. If you fall down eight times, you should get up nine times. And that's attributed to Kalis. And then at the bottom of the page, it tells the brief story in two sentences of Kor, which you just talked about. So I don't know if the whole book is like that or if that's like the beginning of a chapter and then there's more stuff to follow. But um, interesting idea here. Well, we can tell that Worf was definitely following that advice in Deep Space Nine when finding the Gem Hadar and kept getting up because, you know, you don't die laying down on the ground. So apparently Worf ha has w was well familiar with the Klingon art of war, ancient principles of ruthless honor. He, it seems that he was. So we'll watch for this coming out from Keith 
down the road. And I will put a link to it in the show notes, as well as the new cover art, which I like quite a bit better than what we had last week with the temporary artwork. Definitely. Well, Chris, speaking of artwork, we've got some great new artwork for James Swallow's The Poison Chalice, which is going to be coming out uh, soon. Uh, It's a part of the fall series. And I have to tell you, I have not seen a cover this spectacular in a while. I I really like the cover that we got from David's book, uh, David R. George III's newest book with the brand new Deep Space Nine. And, of course, we were both, uh, you know, we are both saddened by uh, the artwork we were getting for the Crimson Shadow because it just isn't living up to this because this is spectacular. Um, We've got a wonderful picture here of the Titan, which this book will be focusing on. And, uh, goodness, I've never seen the Titan actually look this good either. I feel like it looks massive. I mean, it, it feels like a big exploratory vessel. Man, I just really, really like this cover, Chris. What about you? Yeah, I really like this one as well. I agree in terms of the view of the Titan. We've seen the Titan on a lot of covers, but this one has more realism to it than what we've generally seen. And so it really makes you feel like you're out there exploring with Riker and his crew. Although I have the opposite feeling in terms of the size. Now, of course, the Titan is a small ship. It's considerably smaller than the Enterprise. And for me in this cover, I do feel the smallness of the ship, but not in a bad way, but it doesn't feel, it feels compact as I would expect it to, I guess, is my take on it, but it looks really, really beautiful. But uh, I love, you know, coming around the planet, you've got this massive moon that the Titan's headed towards, looks really, really beautiful. I'm glad to see that they're focusing on the Titan in this series. I do wonder, though, with that being Riker's ship. Now, the Poison Chalice, this isn't the name of some sort of position or something, is it? I hope not. Um, <laughs> now, now we did get a great blurb with this, that there's been an act of terrorism um, mm-hmm. within the Federation and it's rocked it to its core. And so actually the Titan, which has been exploring deep space, has been recalled. And um, he's been giving the Riker has been giving these orders from the Admiralty. And he's really found himself being pulled into a, a game of political intrigue. Uh, at the same time, uh, Titan's tactical officer, Tuvok, is being given a series of clandestine orders as well that could lead him into a completely different type of world, gray world, instead of the black and white world that Tuvok kind of lives in most of the time. And so uh, it looks like the, the the crew of the Titan is really going to be put to the test in this book, being pulled in a bunch of different directions. And as the blurb says... Searching for answers that will become a battle for the very ideal the Federation stands for. So it sounds like this series is just going to keep getting bigger and more heavy as we go along until Dayton wraps it all up with his book, so Peaceable Kingdoms. Uh, But it seems like it's going to be going downhill for a while. It's interesting, the storylines. Now, Tuvok, we've seen him go into that gray area a little bit. For example, Prime Factors, where he goes against Janeway's orders and gives them the stories so they can get technology. But we've seen him do that a little bit, but he does kind of tend to be that cut and dry Vulcan, right? More like 
the black right. and white. So this is an interesting place to take him and see where that goes. The overall storyline in this book, the story itself is probably quite different. What I find interesting is that if you simply read this blurb, how much it makes you think about the storyline of Star Trek Into Darkness. And, you know, it, I Chris, you nailed it. I was thinking to myself, this sounds like an Into Darkness plot line. Like, I, I feel like Section 31 is going to be all over this book. Um, I feel like the whole Fall series may be maybe the downfall of Section 31, finally, in yeah. the Federation. Because they've been behind so many things for so many years, which I think would be really cool. Of course, they've been working on the storyline long before they knew what the Into Darkness storyline was. So it's just a coincidence that I find interesting that different people are taking the Federation storyline down a similar path, which I guess grows out of Deep Space Nine and the things that we saw taking place towards the end of DS9. And just this feeling yeah. that like there's shady things happening in the Federation. And here we get to see, like I said, the actual story here when we get into the book will be something completely different. But here it is again, terrorist attack, Federation kind of uh, struggling with its identity and its future and the ideals that it's supposed to represent. Well, and it's interesting, too, because this is something that's been dealt with a little bit in the A Time To series. Uh, right. Before, yeah. That was excellent. You know, uh, with with uh, the, I think it was the Tezwa affair. I think that's how you say that planet mm-hmm. and what went down there. And then, of course, that was the downfall of William Ross. Uh, right. The, the admiral is why he doesn't exist anymore in, that, uh, in the books as a player because of what happened there. Well, it was also the downfall of the Enterprise crew itself i mean that's what the whole story well, is well yes for a yeah. while yes for a while. uh you know they're they definitely go through the ringer especially picard which uh, you know to me was a fantastic storyline even if i didn't love every you know every single part of that story i just loved that they were kind of trying to really grow this crew and and kind of push them forward since they had been so stagnant for so long um and give them some actual growth after so they it could make sense what you saw in nemesis um, and, right. and then of course what they would do after that. So, uh, but yeah, this, this, uh, man, I'm, I'm so excited. I have not gotten a chance to, because we've been working on reading for our deep space nine continuation in that relaunch. I've been reading that. And so trying to get through some other things. So I haven't even gotten to get to David's book yet. So I just, I can't wait to dive into this because man, I think I'm just going to, I really, uh, I'm like, I kind of want to wait so that I can read all five at one time. That's what I was just you know, thinking. So I don't have... Yeah. <laughs> That's reading Netflix <laughs> I'm, I'm, style, right? Wait for all five of them exactly. and then just binge on them over the weekend. Exactly. <laughs> just worried, though, about uh, about spoilers online. Um, yeah, that's the thing. And, uh, and, you know, being so deep in fandom as we are, I just know it'll happen. And so, luckily, I, ha- I know some big things do happen in David's book. And uh, I don't know anything of what they are yet. Nobody spoiled it, luckily, online. So... I just need to get into reading that. So, one, I can review it, and then two, um, not have the big surprise ruined about and kind of where the series is going to go. So, but this again, yeah, man, fantastic cover, well done. Uh, the artwork, uh, this is uh, from um, Lightworks, Tobias Richter, yeah, and exactly, and uh, he does fantastic work every time I see him touch a ship. Uh, for uh, any kind of artwork that he does. I, I feel like it looks the best it's ever looked. And so he really, I think, has 
the touch and the feel to, to make these covers come alive and these ships come alive for me. And especially a ship like the Titan, you know, designed by Sean and uh, really seeing it come alive in to, Tobias's hands like this is, is fantastic. It really is. So yeah, I'm looking forward to this as well. And I have to tell you, I have some brushing up to do on the series leading into the fall series so that I'm really prepared for the storyline. So I'm... I'm not sure exactly when I'm going to get to the fall myself either, but uh, it will happen <laughs> sometime here in during the fall of this year for me. Chris, we need to we need to apparently be able to to give you a, a full week so you can Netflix style so you can catch <laughs> up, you know, like so you we can do. binge read, you know, exactly. Nothing but uh, that. Th- the same way, you know, you're trying to catch up on your TV show before it starts again, so you spend all week yeah. watching like six episodes a night. <laughs> I, I, we need audiobooks. We've been saying this on the show. We need audiobooks. We need unabridged audiobooks of Star Trek again. That's that that would well, help Chris, me immensely. You know, uh maybe uh if you just pay me, I'll I'll read them to you and and then I'll have a job and you know, you'll get your audiobooks. I see. Your job will be reading Star Trek books and recording them for me to listen to. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Maybe it'll be like that Seinfeld episode where George Costanza wants to get audiobooks so he doesn't have to read. So he goes yes. to that program where they can get any book for the blind, except the person reading it is his own voice, same voice as George. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> All right. Okay, well, we'll put a link to more info on that in the show notes. And then let's go on one more story in news today, Matthew. In the feature today, we're going to do some John Byrne comics. We're going to do the assignment, Earth, five-part series. So this ties in to that in in that it's this new photo comic that he's doing that we've talked about on the show quite a while back where he's taking these stills from episodes, uh, actually specifically where no man has gone before. At least that's what he's playing off of. And then he's doing caption bubbles. And I think last time we said it's kind of a really odd project. Now that we've got a little more info here, what do you think about it? It's just such a strange idea to me, and this is going to be the first Star Trek annual, um, and uh, apparently this story is going to be, it's going to be like a lost episode, and they're going to use uh, kind of this constructed photo montage to create this whole new story, and it serves apparently as a direct sequel to Where No Man Has Gone Before. Um, and, uh, fans, apparently they're going to see a surprising turn in the Gary Mitchell story. So I'm not sure what to make of this at all. Uh, just the artwork alone is, is very, very strange. Um, you know, because it is a photo montage of all these characters and it, you know, it, it, it does look like a lost episode, but it's also really odd because it's a comic and I'm not used to, you know, seeing a comic done in this way. Um, but hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested to see the storyline itself. Right. You said there's going to be a strange twist with Gary Mitchell here. Is he going to turn out to be a human named Melinda who had a sex change operation and married a Klingon? 
that's it. <laughs> you ruined it for everyone. Thanks, sorry. Chris. Now I don't have to buy the comic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry. I, spoiler alert, fans. Uh, Cl- Chris is just destroying all of your <laughs> hopes and dreams of, of being surprised about the surprise. So, yeah. John Bird, um, <laughs> he put all that work into it, and there I go, just spilling the beans and renting it for everybody before it even comes out. Yeah. Sorry about that. See if see if IDW ever gives us anything special, Chris. <laughs> so yeah, it's if you read through the information here about it, my understanding of it was that he didn't simply take scenes from episodes to use for the panels here, but he actually manipulated them somehow as well to tell exactly the story that he wanted to tell. Now I wasn't clear whether that simply meant the way that he pulled steels from different places and put them in a specific order, or if he's actually used Photoshop or some other method to change what's in a single steel to fit the story or not. I wasn't quite clear on that. So it's going to be interesting to see. I really don't know what I think about this. And I'm not, I cannot say that I'm overly excited to read this, but I am curious because as a creative, I can see where this idea would be interesting to him to create and it would be fun and it's a it's a nice way to explore a creative idea that you have so i am curious to see how it turns out it's really hard to tell from one single page which is what we're being shown what the overall book is really like yeah i i do think that it's uh it is something that i'm i'm very interested to see just especially the the idea kind of played out fully. Um, and, uh, so hopefully, um, this will be something that will be really good. And, and, you know, too, even just story wise, I think that's what I'm hoping for as well, that it'll be a good, interesting story because it sounds relatively interesting, um, to put a new twist and spin on, on Gary Mitchell this way. So that part I'm, I'm pretty excited about. So, you know, who knows? Um, it could be my favorite comic next year. You never know. Could be. All right. Well, that's all we have in news today. But before we go into our feature about the assignment Earth Comics, Matthew, let's tell everyone about our sponsor for this week's show, Squarespace. They are the all-in-one platform that combines hosting and content management to make it easy for you to create your own space online. And that can be a blog, a personal website, a business website, a portfolio, even an online store. And Matthew, I don't know if you've seen this in the States or not, but the last couple of weeks on Hulu, we've been seeing those Squarespace spots, similar to the ones that we've seen on the website before, running during TV shows. Wow, that is really cool, Chris. I had not seen that before. Um, I'll have to be looking for that. One of the things that they have added recently is their e-commerce feature, which really allows you, you know, if you are somebody who wants to set up a shop to be able to sell things, their e-commerce feature makes this so simple you can have it set up in minutes, which I, I really love. You know, for me, I'm, I'm not a coder. I'm not any of those things. And so really helping you be able to do that, set up a great looking store um, at very little hassle to yourself, especially if you're like me and you want it to look good, but you don't necessarily know how to write that yourself. And all of those features uh, come together and, and really give you this I'd say unparalleled power to create a really professional quality space online with no coding knowledge. And it allows you to really focus on what matters, which is your content and what you're trying to sell. Now, 
at the same time, if you're somebody like you who knows what the code looks like and you want control over 100% of that, Squarespace has a fantastic developer mode as well. So you'd be able to do that. I could, I could, yeah. But but to be honest with you, I do the way you would do. One reason that I use Squarespace is because even though I can code, I don't really want to code. <laughs> I want to just focus on the content. So that's one reason that I love Squarespace so much. And talking about the commerce feature there, good news for our listeners in the UK, the commerce feature has been expanded now beyond the US and Canada and is now available in the UK as well. So they are branching that out to uh, locations outside of North America. So good news there. And also they've introduced a couple of additional things that will be useful for you, uh, not only for commerce, but for personal sites as well. They've introduced a donations block, so you can very easily accept donations now. And uh, they also have new product integrations as well and service product types, which means that, you know, in addition to physical or digital products, you now have a type for services as well. So, you know, if you're like me and you're a designer or you're an artist and you are promoting your services, not just your finished product, that's now part of the commerce feature as well. So wonderful news there. And also, Matthew, as we talk about here all the time, Squarespace really cares about design. They're very design-focused. They have these beautiful, clean templates that make it very easy for you to bring your content to the forefront and make it the focus of your website. Connected accounts make it very easy for you to promote your content out to the world through Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Instagram, Google+, all these different services, and not just with the simple share buttons, but by actually having it auto-tweet or sharing a page directly on Facebook, which is wonderful as well. And of course, the responsive design makes your site look beautiful, whether it's on a desktop or a mobile device. The site automatically reflows for the screen size and orientation, so you don't need to design two separate sites, just one, and it looks beautiful everywhere. And the great thing is that all of this is available to you for an amazingly low price of just $8 a month. That's the starting price. That gives you everything that you need for most people. But if you want to have unlimited bandwidth, unlimited pages, you can do the unlimited plan for $16 per month. And if you want these fantastic commerce features that we've been talking about, that's just $24 a month. And if you choose the annual plan, that includes a custom domain registration as well. And you get Squarespace's amazing 24-hour, seven-day-a-week support, which, believe me, really is fantastic. Best support I have experienced anywhere. So don't take our word for it. Try it for yourself for free. Go to squarespace.com. You can get a free 14-day trial. There's no credit card required. Just enter your name and email address. And in a matter of minutes, you'll be building your website. And if you already use a platform like WordPress, you can import your current site and see how the Squarespace tools give you everything you need to create an exceptional website. Then when you sign up, and I know you're going to want to, use our offer code TREK9 to get 10% off your lifetime purchase on new accounts. So support us and support Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com, use offer code TREK9 to save 10%, and we thank Squarespace for their support of Literary Treks and you for supporting Squarespace, and that helps us bring this programming to you every week. Chris, today we're going to be talking about John Byrne's Star Trek Assignment Earth series, which was a five-part comic miniseries published by IDW, and they did that starting in 2008 in May. Um, the series is is written and illustrated by John Byrne, and each of them takes uh, place, each issue that is, takes place 
after the previous issue, and it starts in 1968, and it depicts the adventures of Gary Seven from the episode Assignment Earth. And so uh, really a jumping-off point here for them. You know, Gary Seven created Hope to be kind of a backdoor pilot for Roddenberry, really wanting to create an entire show around Gary Seven, which is one of the reasons it feels a little bit off as an episode when you're watching right. TOS. Um, and, yeah. and yet a, a very, as, as we talked about when we were talking with Dayton, um, just a kind of an interesting idea, a good sci-fi idea, I thought. Um, and especially when we were talking to Dayton again, you know, just played out in his book. I think it really worked. And you see the potential of something like this as, as a TV show or, you know, a, a series or, a, you know, even maybe a movie or, or a book series, comic book series, that kind of stuff. There is a lot of potential in this. So, yeah, well, it was our talk with Dayton a couple of weeks ago that inspired us to go and look at these comics uh, to talk about them on the show here. Assignment Earth is an interesting episode. I know a lot of Star Trek fans are not crazy about that episode, probably because it doesn't really feel like a Star Trek episode. It feels like Kirk and Spock doing a cameo appearance in another TV show, right? And and in a way it was. I mean, Roddenberry, people know the history, kind of the tug of war that he had with the studio. And he felt, of course, that Star Trek was going to be canceled. And so he was looking for what's his next show going to be. So he had pitched a pilot called Assignment Earth for a TV show called Assignment Earth, which of course was featuring Gary Seven. And what I find interesting about these comics is that you get a feel in these comics of what that TV show would have been if it had continued. You don't really get that feel on the Star Trek original series episode Assignment Earth. And... The the idea another thing that you don't really feel in the episode, it's not really explained in the episode itself so much, is that the idea was that Gary Seven is the descendant of this group of humans who were taken from Earth six thousand years in the past, taken to this planet, and now agents are being sent back to Earth to kind of guide history, maybe kind of keep humans from getting themselves into trouble. Now that you kind of get. But there was another element to it, which was not so much that these aliens had just taken an interest in Earth's rapid technological advancement, but that there was another group that was trying to destroy Earth, undermine humanity. And so there was this kind of battle going on there between two different alien factions, I guess. And Earth was caught in the middle. And Gary Seven and these other agents were being sent there to ensure the future of mankind. Right. And, and, and definitely something that plays out we see in Dayton's book, connecting it with mm-hmm. the Temporal Cold War, and which makes a lot of sense and, and really works there. And so very, very well done in, in that sense. And so for the comic here, it... it starts off you know you have five issues and so the first issue actually starts with kind of the end conversation between um seven roberta lincoln and spock and kirk uh, about their incursion back into this time period and um and and i i thought that was it was it was a good reference point to kind of jump off 
we're going to go into the adventures of Gary Seven. We're we're really not going to spend a, a lot of time in these five comics with anything else, specifically Star Trek related. It's it's really going to be just kind of what Roddenberry had in mind, which was this is going to be a whole show about these characters, um, and and not really connecting so much anymore with Star Trek itself. Right. So in the first one, it's called Brighter Than a Thousand Suns. And uh, this is the story which I think does tie in well to what we see in Assignment Earth, which is it ties in to the development of atomic weapons. And they're they're trying to create a, a weapon here that's called an enhanced fusion bomb. And the concern here is that if this bomb if something goes wrong, this bomb could kill all life in half of the United States. And Gary tells Roberta that Enhanced Fusion destroyed the entire civilization on Delphi Centaurus VI. And so he has some inkling that there... It's not totally clear to me at the beginning if he thinks that Russians are involved, but he has some inkling that... There is something shady going on behind the scenes with some of the scientists. And so he goes there, gets on the base, and they're going to talk to the scientists, check into their backgrounds, try to figure out what's going on, try to stop some sort of plot to sabotage the project, which would, of course, result in the deaths of everyone within a thousand mile radius. Right, exactly. And a quick quick question for you, Chris. His cat, is she just some sort of shapeshifter? Okay. It's like they like I never feel like she's explained. Yeah. So I'm wondering is it seems like almost that she's like Odo, but she just fr- prefers to be in cat form. Right. And she'll be in human form when she has to be, but she really enjoys just being a cat. Yeah. And when she has to be a human, she wants to be sexy. I mean, who can blame her? Exactly. So, yeah, like a sex kitten. Well, exactly. This was conceived of in the 1960s, Matthew. So, mm, okay. But, okay. But yeah, no, that's a good question. In the original concept for Assignment Earth, uh, Isis was going to be joined by another cat. So there were going to be two cats. But instead ah. of being a companion of Gary Seven, Isis and the other cat were going to be evil, shape-shifting agents of the alien race that was trying to destroy humanity. And these aliens were called the Omegans. So they were shapeshifters. Oh, okay. And Isis and her other cat partner were going to be the bad guys mm. to to go up against Gary Seven and Roberta Lincoln. Gotcha. But then, of course, you know, he. you only see that in the one episode and... They never did anything else, and so now she's just his cat that works with him and is a shapeshifter who just prefers to be a cat most a cat. of the time. Interesting. Yeah. I, it's very, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it's such a strange thing because every once in a while she just pops into human form. You're like, what? Wait a minute. What's going on here? So uh, apparently they're playing off the, the Catwoman sex kitten thing rampant in the 60s so i guess that makes complete sense um yeah this is uh this is a i think a a really interesting thing too because as as you're watching or reading through the comic you can see honestly where they got a lot of their men in black ideas 
Right. Yeah. It, you know, Men in Black actually are very much just Gary Seven in his organization. They use the same kind of technology, basically. Um, you know, they have a flashy thingy. It just doesn't, you know, give you lens flare when you do it. So, um, and I thought that was really interesting to see that this is really that basis for some of those things you saw in, in something like Men of Black. Um, and uh, again, I, I just think it's a really great idea for a sci-fi show or comic book series or something. It's very well thought out in that sense um, that there's all these agents going back and forth. And I think, too, uh, you know, again, to praise Dayton and his work and his latest book, you really get the the joy of all that this could have been uh, as a series through that kind of work. And so then reading these comics, this first is this first issue is good stuff because it's exactly what you expect to see from a, a series like this. Yeah, the first issue is quite good and it would make a great series. It's a rather wordy comic, so we do get a pretty good bit of story here. But I was still left as I was reading it feeling like I wish this were a TV episode because this could, you could actually do an entire movie with the story that you have here in issue number one. Yes. And it would be very, very interesting. Uh, did, did you get the feeling, though, that this struck me as kind of interesting as a comic where, so page 14, they're going to get the report about the engineers the scientists that are working there and then page 15 is very very dense dossiers of eight different scientists who are working on this project which is called the hercules project and then on page 16 you get the final one the ninth one which is diana winters but after you read all of this stuff then roberta says jeepers they're all so squeaky clean <laughs> carrie seven says i agree and so what did I just read? I just spent time reading this really dense information about what schools these scientists went to and all this stuff just to get to, yeah, there's nothing there. Yeah, I, it, <laughs> there there really was this entire page, uh, folks. And um, I I was like you, I was like, goodness, this is the most wasted page I've ever seen in a comic. That's um, how I, I couldn't feel. think of a more wasted page. Uh, so yes, I'm very much with you in that. Um, and and what was what was interesting about it is it really slowed down the action in the comic too, yeah. because you didn't need this whole page. You could have just had, uh, you know, a very quick panel at the top with all of their pictures and kind of giving very quick things about them or whatever, or just the fact that they're getting this dossier on each person without necessarily having to read all of it. Because right. again, you know, they sum it up for you right afterwards and saying this really isn't important. They're all too squeaky clean, which means they're all suspects. Exactly. Yeah, because none of it has anything to do with the rest of the story. So uh, yeah, it was kind of a wasted page for me. But But then we move on and... The story gets it gets pretty interesting. I R Roberta Lincoln in this comic and all the other ones really comes off as sort of an idiot, don't you think? You know she does. Um, you know it, it is. I always want her character to be a little bit more involved and a little. I mean, 
she just kind of comes off as the blonde who's tagging you know, along, just, right? Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, she always ends up having a purpose, too. I mean, you know, she she is not completely useless or anything. Right. She just has her own way of doing things. And it you could tell, too, she's very young or at least supposed to be very young. So yeah. somebody who's, you know, probably just out of college or something like that. So it's just some of the things she says, like she's posing, they're posing as scientists themselves, right? And then they drive out there to the desert and then there's a cooling tower and she gets out of the car and says to the other scientist diana winters here is that the bomb <laughs> and diana right says, where did you do your studies <laughs> it's like just keep <laughs> your mouth closed roberta you're, you're blowing right cover. exactly <laughs> well and then of course you know we, we had those huge dossiers and the very last one was um the diana winters who is uh, the person that you know, Seven actually goes on a date with uh, trying to get closer to her. Uh, you get the idea that they've they've done some other things before he comes home back to New York and uh, to the computer to get the all this background information. And then, bum, 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 spoiler alert, she turns out to be the bad guy. Shocker. And of course, she's a Russian agent. Exactly, exactly. So apparently in comics like Scream... If you have sex, you're going to be either the bad guy or you're going to die. So, uh, yeah, this this is where, to me, the um, the the comic, uh, the, at least this first issue, just kind of let me down a little bit because it was a little bit choreographed uh, right. too much. Well, it was, so, it was almost like a Scooby-Doo episode at the end. Yes, yes, very much like that. <laughs> But at the same time, if you think about it as pretend that it was written in the 1960s for television, I think that the style of the writing and the way the story plays out is appropriate. So yeah, if that was the goal, I think that Byrne achieved the goal. Yeah, definitely. And it, it does, I think you're right, the storytelling and everything that happens in, in, in all of these stories does very much fit within that 60s uh, genre, kind of B-movie genre mm-hmm. that you would expect from something like uh, a spinoff of Star Trek like this. Um, and, and so I, I think that's that's probably the highest compliment you could pay for it. It does really feel like the episodes you might get of this series. Right. Oh, it does. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go on to the second issue. We do get uh, Star Trek characters in this one a little bit because this one ties directly into an original series episode. And this comic is titled Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow. Now, Chris, I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, This is the issue that I think did not need to exist. Um, (laughs) I probably agree. I I really... (laughs) I, I was reading through it and I just felt like there's absolutely nothing happening in this episode. I mean, because they just play around Kirk and Spock and everything that's going on in that episode. And the episode we're talking about is Tomorrow is Yesterday. Tomorrow is Yesterday. Yeah. That's right. And But nothing happens for Roberta and... Right. You know, th- like they don't do anything. They just kind of <laughs> right. dance around the episode 
he spends, not being seen because they can't be seen. <laughs> they spend the whole story following people around from the episode Tomorrow is Yesterday, peeking around corners in the hallway, saying, I've got to do something to... Oh, it looks like they've got it under control. I think we're okay here. Oh, wait, there's... Uh, no, they've got that under control as well. No problem. It's kind of like that, right? It's like you get to the end and, and you are... Th- I was thinking the same thing, like... You guys, you really didn't need to get involved in what was going on here in the first place. Yeah, it it didn't really make sense. And and maybe the only real reason that this issue existed is because Isis turns into the sexy sex kitten. And Yes, the uh, only reason you know, this she... exists is for you, Matthew, right here. That frame right there. Exactly. On page seven. That's exactly it. <laughs> if you're if you're lucky. Chris will use this as the chapter <laughs> art for this uh, issue. But really, I, it is funny because I, I don't, this issue, nothing happens for those characters. And if you're doing a whole assignment Earth, I'm not sure why you wouldn't just, you know, create a whole new issue yeah. for them to deal with other than one that they're not really involved in. You um, know what I think it is? Because when you get to the end of it, the only thing that seems to happen here in terms of Gary and Roberta doing something to change the story is that apparently the reason that Captain Christopher couldn't see the Enterprise when they beamed him back into his jet at the end of the episode is that Gary and Roberta used their computer to create some sort of invisibility field around the Enterprise. That that happens at the very, very right. end of the comic. And and otherwise, I mean, yeah, there's no real reason. Now, we do get Roberta in the red TOS dress, though. Exactly. So uh, maybe another reason fans always wanted to see Roberta dressed as, you know, an Ahura type of figure. But otherwise, yeah, this this unfortunate issue is unfortunately an issue that you have to read in this series. And um, I would even say if you're buying these as issues from Comixology, you might just want to skip this one because... Well, you know what I think it is? I'm just guessing, but the feeling I get is that in these five issues, this is the only Star Trek issue, real Star Trek issue. I feel like they felt that they had to have more of a Star Trek element somewhere in this series. And so they did this story so that there was one that really did tie back into Star Trek. That's just kind of my feeling. I can see that. That makes sense. But it seems like to me, though, you know, you could have had them have to jump forward in time or something to create a... I mean, you don't... Yeah, if you're going to do this, you... I feel like you should have just created your whole new story. Um, what if we had found out that Gary Seven is actually Future Guy? Ah, now see that would have been interesting. Uh, of course, yeah. I mean, you could have done that. Gary Seven is Future Guy. You know, Enterprise had ended at this point. Um, so because this is two thousand eight, so you definitely could have done that. Or you could have found out that he knew who Future Guy was. You know, as well. Which, yeah, there's a lot of things you could have done with that. And, and again, something that Dayton really tried to tie together um, and from history's shadow. And so what if they had gone not to the Enterprise of Kirk's era, but they had gone to the next generation 
They all beam on the ship. Isis and Spot fall in love. And this is before mm. Spot has mm. a sex change in mm-hmm. the seventh season of TNG. Yes, yes, Spot I like it. Spot was actually a boy. And yeah, okay. they fall in love. And then Spot finds out that Isis is not actually a cat. And somehow that's going to affect the timeline. And Oh, yeah. See, that's a fantastic story right there. I wish they had done that. I think it would have worked really well. <laughs> I would have paid to see a a Spot Isis relationship. Um, or you found out that Spot is actually another one of those aliens. Oh, he just never transformed better. for data. See, yes, and he's been work. That cat has been working to help save the Enterprise D with some things. Like you didn't know it, but yeah. yeah. Oh, I I love this idea. And let's pick up something else here. Phineas and Ferb. I think that Spot is like Perry the Platypus. When Data's around, Spot is just Spot. But as soon as Data leaves his quarters, Spot puts on a little cap and jumps into action to save the Enterprise. And only Wesley knows that Spot is actually an agent. You had me until you mentioned Wesley, and then you lost me. <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay, no Wesley so, in the story. No one knows. Yeah, that maybe Leffler knows. Or maybe okay, Argyle let's do that. knows. Leffler knows. What about Argyle? Oh, there you go. That okay. even better. Argyle and Leffler are the only people who know. <laughs> and so, yeah, I I think in fact, I think we have a story for Dayton here. I think he needs to write this story. Oh, good idea. Where okay. you know Spot is visited by ISIS, and they you know, save the Enterprise D from catastrophe somehow yeah. uh, with the help of Leffler and a very sober, for once, Argyle. All right, I like it. So everyone, as you can tell by the fact that we're spending the entire Issue 2 segment making up other stories that could have been done instead of this one, <laughs> I think that you can gather <laughs> how much we enjoyed the second issue of the series. So let's just go on to yes. Issue number 3, Matthew. uh, let's go on to this one which is called my name is legion yeah this is uh this was more along the lines of what i thought all these comics would be like um just in general with this this story having all these back and forth things of of people trying to create um advantages for one country or another during the Cold War that would, you know, destabilize the planet enough to basically have it all blow up. Right. Well, and of course, this story is taking place during the time of the Vietnam War. And exactly. And ties yes. really well. And, and it's actually impressive writing this in 2008, how uh, Byrne captured, I think, the public opinion and the sentiment towards that war. And also explored a, a very nice sci-fi twist on how a government might try to deal with a conflict like that. Yeah, it um it it was it was really interesting. Um, the only thing that I felt like was a, a more of a commentary say on something like Iraq and and Afghanistan is you know Roberta's friend Curtis who is against the war but he supports the troops right don't feel like you got a lot of that mentality in uh after vietnam the 70s yeah. no yeah you're yeah. right about that yeah. um and so very much not realistic um it's, well, it's sweet i love that you know i mean 
but on a college campus, this was not the attitude that you found in the 70s. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree on that. Um, I, I think it was what he's fighting against is that soldiers come back and society ignores them and, you know, treats them like the war's their fault. And right. he, he's kind of fighting against that. But, but I agree that I think that the mentality that's presented here on the part of of him and the others who uh, he's working with to, to try to change the situation is more of a modern view, more mm-hmm. so than a view of the time period this is supposed to be taking place in. Right. Um, now, see, the, the, the one thing about this comic that I didn't quite understand was this professor and this general are working on this project that's secret on this college campus uh, where Roberta has been undercover. They've been told by the Beta 5 computer that something is going on here. That's why they're there. They've been researching it. It's been taking a long time. And um, so they have this demonstration where, you know, uh, Curtis is able to talk down the military, military yeah. who they've, they've been insulted. They've, they've been, you know, they had a, also went through bottle a bottle of something face, thrown yeah. at their faces. Right. Exactly. So, and they're about to start shooting and he ends up talking them down from, from doing that. And then, you know, he goes, ends up going home with Roberta and they like sleep together. And I, I don't understand why they come for him though. Like what's, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like it was kind of odd. Hmm. Like, well, I got the feeling that they, so they've been watching Gary, I got that impression that so Gary is he's posing as a professor at this university, right? So this other professor here who is Eckhart, as he's walking away, as that general is pushing him away, he says, That's the one you told me about, Eckhart. And Eckhart says, Yes, I've had I've had one of the units keeping an eye on him. And so mm-hmm. I got the impression that they felt that Curtis was working together with Gary Seven somehow. They didn't realize that okay. Roberta is actually Gary Seven's partner. Is actually the one. Gotcha. That's kind of how she plays I her took part it. so well. Right. You know. So yeah. now this scene here though where they come for him, when I read this, I said I have to I have to ask Matthew about this. So she gets Curtis to to sleep over. Because she's already yes. tried to kiss him earlier in the comic. And so now she kisses him again. Mm-hmm. She gets him to sleep over and she's making breakfast. And she says, this happens to be Mrs. Lincoln's world-renowned hash browns and scrambled eggs. Everything I know, I learned from my mom. And Curtis, who is shirtless in the bed with a blanket pulled up to his waist, says, everything? Then your father is a very lucky man. <laughs> I actually cracked up uh, laughing out loud when I read that's that. That's a line right there. I'm like, wow, there's some innuendo in this Star Trek comic. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm just going to be straight with you, man. If uh, somebody ever says something like that to you, don't return with uh, that your father is a very lucky man. <laughs> exactly. um, it's probably really the wrong line. Uh, to go with uh, it's it's not sexy there's nothing good about it um, yeah just stay away from that subject just say 
The eggs smell delicious. Exactly. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so they come for him and there there's some interesting things in these comics where when you get to the end, if you go back, you can see where John Byrne has dropped clues into these comics along the way that you don't quite pick up on. I think they're they're done very well. And there's one here where these two twins come in to take Curtis away. And at the time, going through the comic the first time, I didn't really think much about it. See, for me, I remember the very first page of the comic, which is a picture of all of these soldiers that look exactly alike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the minute the twins came in, I was like, oh, okay, there we go. This is what's going on. And then, of course, you know, you get to the page, I think it's 14, where he talks about uh, he's he's in the office and he sees the detailed map of the human genome uh, and all that. And I was like, OK, I, I yeah. get where they're going with this now. So, well, I but think yeah, you're right. He really does drop a lot of hints. There are throughout. a lot. Yeah. I think you look at the cover more closely than me, because if you don't examine the illustration on the cover, you just see all these soldiers. And if you just flip by it quickly and you don't pay attention to the fact that all their faces are the same, then you don't think too much about it. And that's what I did, is I just kind of, oh, I looked at the overall image real quick. Mainly I looked at the outrageous outfit that Roberta is wearing, and then I flipped on through and started reading. <laughs> well, we uh, we know where your eyes went, Chris. So anytime Roberta apparently is on the page, you're... You're distracted, so well, well, John no, Byrne has done his it's, work. It's not like she's wearing anything sexy on the cover. She's wearing that really, really <laughs> loud flower child bell-bottom denim jeans and yes, you know, brightly colored outfits. So yes, so um, we find out what's been going on. Uh, they have been cloning all of these guys. They're creating basically the super trooper. They are creating basically. The human version of the Jem'Hadar. They are beings that have no remorse. They even say it. They are an inexhaustible army of perfect physical specimens. An army without fear. An army that does not tire. An army without moral reservations. An army that will sweep across Southeast Asia and drive the enemy into oblivion. So obviously with the fear of of communism here and, and everything. But... I just thought it was interesting because it really is a creation of a human Jim Harar army uh, that they have no fear. They're tireless, uh, you know, and uh, they don't care about anything moral. Well, it ties into what I believe you and I were talking about on the orb last week. I think it was where we were talking about the Jim Harar and but we were talking about how you have to be careful what you create, you know, because it can turn on you. Exactly. And that's exactly what they get into here as well and they ask how long before these perfect specimens of your see imperfect mankind as the real enemy how long before they round us up and exterminate us and then the general says never going to happen seven and even if it did you won't be around and then they go on into the story but and then they fight and then they fight unfortunately there's no andorians no um, there was an so, andorian in issue number two though so maybe if they could bring that's him right over, that's right it would work. uh it would have been great if he'd been there so. i was looking at these guys though to see if jongo fit was in there 
Oh, that would have been great. Yeah, Jango Fett, of course. Uh, great Star Wars reference. That would have been fantastic. Um, I do think it's interesting, though. This sets up the comic that we get in the uh, Frontier Doctor series where he goes to the planet. Oh, yeah. And the, oh, the Earth-like yes. planet in the Vega system where all these guys have been shipped to that, yes. you know, uh, Gary Seven throws them to. So I did like that. There's some great continuity between his own work here. Right. Uh, and it really actually worked very well. Well, that's cool, too. It's so. a cool connection because his solution is just to transport all of these clones to that planet. And he says without any women amongst them, they'll all be dead in less than a generation. And the interesting tie-in here is taking an action like that without actually thinking about what consequences could follow. And then we do see in the Frontier Doctor comic what the consequences of that would actually be. Right. So really, uh, that's a really cool and interesting thing. And of course, it gets followed up, which is really nice uh, because it makes a good continuous story. You could go then jump to that Frontier Mm -hmm. Doctor comic and get the end and really get this better than we did when we first read the Frontier series. Right. So interestingly enough, Curtis does not get his memory wiped. He and Roberta are apparently together for a little while. And then the end of the comic is is quite sad. Them looking at the memorial wall, uh, Roberta and her her granddaughter, and um, finding out that that he had died not too long after that, after being shipped off to Vietnam and meeting with ISIS there to commemorate the the day he had died and so uh kind of a melancholy end to the story and i think but a good and interesting really well thought out story yeah in this one so uh the the, i liked this i I liked this because it really did feel like an episode of what this show would be like yeah yeah i agree so so this was a good one i enjoyed it even if the clone army idea is a little bit played out in in science fiction Mm -hmm. you know there are various other situations but it does tie into the subject matter of the comic quite well so that was a pretty good one okay issue number four issue number four is called we have met the enemy and it opens with the interesting scene of roberta using the closet uh transportation device that they have there in the office as mm-hmm. a wardrobe, it's it's Roberta's ever-changing pants. It is. Uh, she changes outfits uh, at least six times. Uh, she's got a big date. Uh, she tries on some very interesting outfits, um, and uh, some more covered than others, and uh, finally gets to the perfect thing until Gary Seven gets back and <laughs> uh, ruins all her fun. Yeah. Well, clearly the last one she picked, the the really tight, short black dress, Isis was there. Isis was helping her. That had to be Isis's suggestion, I think. Yes, I think so. Uh, Because as we've seen, um, Isis likes things that are black, tight, and quite tiny. Yes, I think so. So, yeah, he comes in. That was just kind of a humorous start. And again, if you think about this being like what the TV show would have been, you know, you can see a show opening with this kind of humorous moment that lasts, you know, Mm -hmm. 60 seconds, maybe two minutes that leads us into the story. So it does give you that TV episode feel even in the comic. Mm -hmm. 
Now, Chris, I'm going to admit again, this is another one of the issues that I just don't enjoy as much. This, you know, the whole idea of this encrypted file that is being released into their databanks that has something to do with two agents who are dead and, and uh, it, I don't know, something about it just, it, I don't, it doesn't feel like there's enough here. Like, I don't feel like yeah. I get enough of the story. Um, it all comes really fast. Um, this idea of these bad guys that, that Gary Seven's group has been fighting for so long, uh, called Counter Strike. And they, you know, they're centuries of sweeping across the galaxy, just raining down destruction and death. I don't feel like there's enough explanation of all that goes on in this comic for me to really care. So by the time I get to the end, I'm like, well, that was weird. Well, I, I, I kind of like to, I, I know what you're saying, and it does kind of go weird at the end, but I kind of liked it in that it picks up from Assignment Earth, the Star Trek episode, where we find out that Gary Seven has been sent there to find out why the two agents who were supposed to be stopping that missile launch can't do it, what happened to them. And so this is the story of what happened to them and why they were killed in the car accident, because we know in the episode that they were killed in a car accident. And it seems like they've been sent there from this other planet to stop the specific event. And then their mission ends because of something as senseless as a car accident. And this story actually explains how the accident happens and why the accident happened and who was behind the accident and what those people, which would be the Omegans, if we go back to the actual concept of the assignment or TV series, right? why they were doing it. And that makes more sense. And I, I apologize to all the Star Trek fans out there because I haven't seen Assignment Earth in a long time. And I probably should have watched the episode uh, <laughs> before. Bef- well, you've seen it. It's just been a long yeah. time. So you're yeah, rusty it's been it. a long time. Yeah. And so, but now that you've said that, it does make a little bit more sense. I still feel like that the aliens that we get to are just so whacked out. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's it feels it starts to feel like an anime comic at the end. Yeah. Yeah, the ending is kind of weird. I, I I like the idea that we would actually meet the aliens who Gary Seven yes. works for, but I wouldn't expect them to be anything like what we see here at the end of this comic. Yes. It reminded me a little bit of like a Green Lantern-ish type thing. Uh-huh. Like that the you know, that the aliens that work for them are so strange. And uh yeah, it it's very interesting and you know, it ends all right, you know, Roberta gets to meet the the aliens that he works for, which these aliens can actually change form as well, like Isis. Right. And become, you know, he, he becomes a uh, hunky-looking, you know, Michael Landon-type character from uh, Little House on the Prairie. I mean, he has the hairdo like him. You know what I'm talking about, Chris? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> and then, of course, he leaves, and, and it's over, and... Then, strangely enough, the comic's not quite over because we have a little ISIS adventure, um, <laughs> right? Which was was the oddest thing ever. It so was that, that that comic, which could have used more pages. Yes, we end up with um, ISIS stopping a burglar who's stolen a purse, and uh, 
you know, nobody really seeing that it's a real person doing it. It's just a cat. Um, very strange. Isn't very odd. Well, that, the last two yeah. comics both end with these special little adventures at the end. And it's it's really odd to me because, again, like you said, this comic could have used more pages. We get to page 20 at the bottom. We have end. And then we have two more pages of this ISIS thing. And it's almost like we have to fill 22 pages, but we ran out of story. Why don't we just do a two-page ISIS adventure and stick it after the story? It's really weird. Yeah, it just bothered me too because, again, it it was a story that I felt like could have used a little bit more explanation and a little bit more time. And instead, I I got a a goofy ISIS adventure, which, hey, you know, I don't understand too. You could have done a whole comic in this series with, you know, ISIS maybe being the lead, which would have been really interesting since we don't see her do very much right? Um, other than turn into a sex kitten. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So that so. was unusual, but all right. But overall, this was, it was a good tie into the series. And as I mentioned earlier, I think issue number two is there because they just needed to have some sort of Star Trek tie-in. Here they have a more subtle Star Trek tie-in. There are elements here that could have made a very good story and made a very interesting television episode, but they don't quite follow through enough in the comic, I think, for my taste. So let's go to issue number five. And of course, the first thing you think of when you see this comic is the ancient Vulcan proverb, only Nixon could go to China. Well, and what I liked about this, Chris, is it really helps uh, explain that for all of us Star Trek fans is seeing that happen. Uh, And I thought that was really smart. The other thing that I thought of, Chris, did you ever see Die Hard 4, Live Free Die Hard? No, I I have not seen very many of the Die Hard movies. The first Okay, well, there's a scene in there where the bad guy's henchman has taken this video of all of the presidents and chopped it all together into one coherent message. And um, (laughs) he says at the end, after all of these presidents have, have, you know, done their part in the video, he goes at the end and it's like, was it creepy enough? I tried to get more Nixon, but I couldn't find any more Nixon. (laughs) 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 That the creepiest part was that they needed more Nixon. So the fact that this issue has two Nixons in it was pretty creepy. Well, and Nixon comes off as creepy in here. I mean, he either slaps or pinches Roberta on the ass aboard Air Force One. That's true. So uh, they do a good job of of making Nixon creepy. Um, I thought this was interesting, you know, because... The, the whole comic revolves around Nixon's visit to China and that the Chinese have tried to create a, another Nixon that they can replace him with so that they can then, of course, rule the world by being able to destroy the U.S. from the inside. And yeah. so very cool idea and a great reason to have, obviously, Roberta and Gary Seven need to be there. Right. Yeah, so this one is called Too Many Presidents, and it seems more that the Chinese and the Russians are working together on this because the Russians want to take Nixon mm-hmm. back to Moscow. Yes, yes. Um, so it's just a really, uh, I, I really think that this is a great idea. And yes, uh, Nixon's creepy. He 
Uh, I got the impression that he kind of slapped her on the ass there uh, as he's walking away. Yeah. And and, um, and then she says, Evan, he, I mean, he, but he's the president. And I'm thinking, well, you know, so is JFK. And he probably would have done the same thing to Roberta. So, yeah. you know. Uh, or Bill Clinton. I mean, we've got a whole slew of presidents. Well, Bill would have probably problem, done a lot so. more to Roberta than just that. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, but yeah, I really like this story. I, I loved uh, the the intrigue going on in the background. I loved the the idea that it wasn't something that was sci fi ish. You know, they just used plastic surgery for this guy two years of plastic surgery to create this Nixon lookalike. Um, and then, of course, in the end, do they get the real Nixon? You know, do, We don't know. Do they get? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So leaving you with that question, which I thought was really cool, that you're not really sure if the Nixon who resigns is, is the real Nixon. And, you know, when you flashy thing people, uh, you know, you can make anyone believe that they're yeah. anyone they want. So it didn't really matter. Well, and didn't it remind you of your favorite Star Trek movie, The Undiscovered Country, with the fight scene under Rapinthe between two Kirks and not knowing which Kirk was which for a moment? You've got the same thing here. You've got the fight scene between the two Dixons. Yes, yes, which I thought was pretty interesting. Although, you know, Nixon doesn't come off all that terrible because, you know, when Gary Seven gets shot, he... You know, the real Nixon tells Roberta, stay here with the agent. I'm going to go take care of this guy. Right. Uh, and then runs off after, you know, his his counterpart. And so I thought that that was pretty interesting um, to see that, you know, they don't there's some ways that they portray Nixon as being like not a great guy. But in some other ways, they they kind of portray him as being kind of noble at the same time. Because, mm-hmm. you know, even at the beginning, they talk about how. You know, only Nixon could have gone to China. Somebody who had been so against what's happening that yeah, only he could without being considered a communist lover. Right. And so, yeah. uh, you know, the, there's good and bad to each person. Uh, and they really, I thought, Byrne does a pretty even-handed job here with somebody like Nixon, who's generally kind of hated by just about everybody. So well done for, for John Byrne. Now, at the end of the fourth comic, we talked about the weird two-page Isis thing that was there. Now, someone who does have yes. a big role in this story is Isis. And also, we talked about how John Byrne drops little things in that you may not pick up on immediately. Did you immediately pick up on Isis's introduction in the story, or did it take you a little while to make the connection? It took me a little bit to figure out that who she was okay same um, for me but then i yeah. was like oh okay exactly but that that's really cool, that was cool. exactly yeah. it worked out really well i thought it, he did a great job of uh m- really getting that in underhandedly yeah so unless you're really paying attention you're like oh oh okay that makes sense <laughs> that makes sense yeah so so and and exactly. it's plays well done. an important role in the story throughout more so than in the other stories mm-hmm. and and that was Nice, because, well, again, if the TV show had gone forward as planned, she would have been one of the evil Omegans. But if the TV show had gone forward as we saw it in Assignment Earth, where she is Gary Seven's cat, and like the three of them go around together and do things, you would hope that Isis would have more of a role than she does 
you know, and, and here she doesn't use the sexuality like she does in the first comic where she lures them away, lures the guards away on the military base by by just being sexy and walking by. Right. Yeah, this one is 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 much more straightforward. She's she's playing it much differently, which I thought was was really cool. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, which is great. We get to see her again, um, you know, bringing uh, uh which is, I don't understand this ending thing. <laughs> I like, know, same, yeah. So Roberta has coffee, and then um, she spills the coffee, she thinks. And then... Well, and not uh, only that, but they this time really... they use three pages at the end of the comic for this mm-hmm. little tag ending that you, you are like, what is going on here? And then you understand, okay, well... This is supposed to be Roberta and Isis like to play jokes on each other. But even so, what it made me wonder is, is John Byrne saying that if he were doing the television series, would each episode end the way the original series always ends with a joke on the bridge and everyone dies laughing? Would Assignment Earth end with... Uh, Roberta and Isis playing some kind of joke on each other and then Gary Seven walking in? I guess. Uh, it went, And then it would end with him scratching his head going, ugh, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> right. Uh, As he looks right at yeah, the camera. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. The same way Spock kind of has to look at Bones and Kirk as they laugh at him half the time, you right. know, at the end of the episode. Yeah, I guess that that's how it would end. So, I guess so. I don't know. That's that's a good call. Yeah. That's a good. That's an interesting idea. I don't know. But but this was a good comic. I enjoyed it. You know, nice political intrigue. It's not really sci-fi. It's more like a spy story, and it's it's the kind of thing that I think could make the show interesting if it were a television series. Except yeah. for the weird bubble bath and, and, that Roberta gets at the end. What is that? Yeah, that was a little bit odd too. <laughs> Um, I definitely think, though, that on a whole, this is a relatively good comic series. Um, I think that it sticks with um, the things that we would have seen in the show. Uh, it sticks with the the feeling of the show that you would have got. I, I think it's, it's well done in that sense. Uh, I do think, unfortunately... Two is a complete waste of space, honestly. It could have been something that been much more interesting story-wise if you really wanted to connect Star Trek to it again. I think you would have been much better handled just creating a whole new story with the crew, especially since at that point um, you're getting into where you can make something up for the fourth year, the fifth, you know, the five-year mission or the fifth year, something like that. You know, just make something up. Uh, you don't need to to go back and tell a story we've already seen, right? Yeah, a bunch of times. Um. Anyway, but on a whole, I like this comic series. I think it's interesting. It's fun. I I love the connection with his other work and in, in in our one. I think probably our highest rated comic series that we've done was was Frontier Doctor. Chris, uh, just we both really appreciated that. Uh, and thought it was really well done. So uh, I think this one is is a fun read. It's a goofy read. It it feels very much like what you would see in, in a spinoff series. 
Uh, it feels like something Roddenberry would have come up with some of the goofy things that he liked to do. Right. Uh, yeah. So I like this and the artwork is relatively good. It fits with that time period and everything you see. So yeah. Um, I think if I was going to give this a rating, it would probably be seven, seven out of 10 sex kittens. Wow. What is it with the racy ratings on Treka film this past week? I think, on the ready room, I don't know. This past week, Philip gave a matter of honor something like four female Klingon breastfeedings or something. It was like, whoa, wow. whoa, whoa, Where hey, hey, here? this is a family show. <laughs> uh, I was just talking about ISIS. I don't know what we're going into now. So, Chris, what are your feelings though on on the on the series uh, that we read today? Uh, pretty much the same as yours and what we've gone over. Up to this point, it, it kind of made me wish that Assignment Earth had been a television series because I think it would be fun to watch. I think there would have been a lot of fun stories on there. And this gives you enough of that to make you wish that some of these comics themselves were episodes and that you could watch them be fleshed out a little bit more. I think Byrne did a nice job of dropping in some plot twists along the way enough to keep you interested and make you say, ah, now I see what he did there at the beginning. And so that's nice to see. I, I The artwork is good. Issue 5 gets a little bit sloppy. There are a lot of typos in Issue 5 in the text. Mm. And I was kind of surprised by the number of them. But yeah, overall, I enjoyed it. I think it's worth reading. I I still enjoyed Issue 2 a little bit more than you did, I think, just reading it and like just kind of seeing where they go with the Star Trek thing. But I do agree mm-hmm. that it's a waste of space in the series because it doesn't further their story. They just wander around doing nothing pretty much the whole time. Right. So I think I will rate this maybe on a scale of 10. I'm going to give this series seven sets of fake credentials. Excellent, because there are a lot of fake credentials in this series. There really are. I get the feeling that Gary Seven and Roberta, I think they use their ability to make fake credentials as a way to just get into concerts, sporting events, first in line at the Apple store to get the iPhone, just anything that they need credentials for. I can just see them making up fake ones for everything. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Yeah. So there we go. All right. Well, it's been fun talking about Assignment Earth Comics with you today, Matthew. But, you know, it's not the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM this week. So here are some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, the orb. Sacrifice of angels. Again, Ducat in his overconfidence. Should we have anybody go after him? No, no, no. Yeah, just let just, him go. Yeah, That's just, right. I mean, we'll destroy him when he gets here. The ready room. Come. But because they had to do this convolution, and they, so they they don't. I mean, Kirk should have had a reaction to that being Khan, and 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 when he says the name Khan, that should mean he didn't say my name is is Noonien, you know. He said Khan, and and you would at least have a thing in your mind going, oh, genetically enhanced Khan. This has got to be the Khan. To the journey. The fight. I'll never forgive you listeners for putting me through watching that again. <laughs> Although this episode did give us the line, was your opponent firing some type of energy weapon at you? 
And then Chocote goes, just his gloves. Commentary, Trek stars. Richard Matheson recap. And my favorite chapter in the Matheson life is when he was hired by Rod Serling to work on The Twilight Zone, the first season of The Twilight Zone, because that is a fantastic moment in history where Rod Serling was creating something that would eventually become an incredibly important artifact of history. Warp 5. The Mako. Well, the employment arrangements are actually relative, quite relatively interesting to contemplate. As you, you know, you <laughs> joked about whether they were contractors or not, but as you've stated, they, they are outside of Starfleet. Trek News and Views. Seven of nine day. She's a, she was a bit overused and it was a bit ridiculous some of the things her magical nanoprobes could do, but... Literary treks. Missions end. The question is, do you feel like Section 31 is overused? Everyone wants to use Section 31, and so they just keep popping up in every story, and I think sometimes it does a disservice to the idea of Section 31. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week, and some days we even have two shows for you, and you'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox Zune, stream from the website, download files from the website, many, many ways for you to get the shows, and you can get links to everything by going to trek.fm pd for podcast directory. Now, Matthew, it's been a little while since we had an iTunes review for Literary Treks, but we do have one this week. And uh, this one comes to us from our friend Weather Servo 9 which, uh, I don't know, is that what Worf was trying to sabotage on Risa in Let He Who Is Without Sin? Was that Weather Servo? Uh, there's a good possibility that was Weather Servo 9 Uh <laughs> Hopefully they're not trying to sabotage our weather. Maybe that's why we haven't had any rain here in Dallas. Oh, okay. Well, I think we we got your rain, so that's that's where that went. Okay. I think uh, can someone... you send it over our way because we really need it. Yeah, I'll just scoop it up in a bucket. I'll throw it in the closet over there at Gary Seven's place. It'll oh, be great. transported right over to you. Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks, Chris. We appreciate that. <laughs> but no, Weather Server Nine left us a five star review and said the glue that holds the Trek universe together. And I love the point that they make here. Whenever Star Trek isn't in production on TV or in the movies, it is the comics and novels and fanfic and other writing that keeps it alive. And even when Trek is being produced, the books add depth and explore issues and situations which can't be done in the visual medium. The books also help tie all the different eras and characters together and really make Trek a full universe. It is only fitting that such content should finally have its own dedicated podcast. These sometimes lengthy discussions fly right by just like time flies when reading the best Trek books. Trek of him is awesome, and I hope they're around for years to come. So uh, thank you for that, Weather Servo, and you pretty much summed up exactly why we started this show in the first place. Yeah, that's a really, really nice review. I really appreciate that. Um, and uh, thank you so much for all the people who have taken the time to to give us a written review uh, it does help people find the show on iTunes, and so if you do have a chance, we'd love for you to go do that for us and just help other fans be able to find the show and make it something that um, is is more popular with the fans. That you know, the the literary universe is is something that for us, you know, it's the only place we get the prime universe anymore. And I love being able to talk about it with you every week, Chris. 
Yeah, most definitely. So please do drop by iTunes and leave us a star rating and a written review if you have time. It only takes about 30 seconds and we do love to hear from you. Now, there are other ways you can contact us as well. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, you can go to trek.film slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Literary Treks and that will come to Matthew and me by email. There is a tab on the right-hand side of every page on the website that says send voicemail. If you click that, a box will appear and you can use your webcam's microphone to record a voicemail to us and upload it to us as an mp3 file from the box there. And also, if you want to talk to other listeners, other members of the Trek FM crew, you can go to trek.fm slash forums. We have an entire forum section there, and uh, you can share your thoughts. And in social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and on Twitter, where we're always tweeting away about Star Trek, under username trekfm. Now, Matthew, when you're not helping Roberta pick out an outfit for her hot date, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter. I will give you fashion advice uh, at MattRushing02. You can also find me on The Orb, where we talk Deep Space Nine, Chris, and, of course, plenty of uniform talk there, uh, whether it's Dabo Girls or, uh, you know, the uniform changes that happen on Deep Space Nine or what Garrick might create for us if if we were to go into his shop and ask for a, a fine suit uh, and then as well, you will find me on my own blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Now, Chris, if you're not jumping through time with Gary7 and people want to get a hold of you, where can they do that? Well, you'll usually find me hanging out with Isis because she's really a lot of fun to hang out with. But I'll try to take some time away from that to tweet on Twitter. And my username is C. Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username. And also you'll find me on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And then on the network, besides the or Matthew, which I do with you, you'll find me on Tuesdays on The Ready Room where I'm joined sometimes by Matthew, as well as other hosts from all across the network and other special guests to discuss all five live-action Star Trek series and some other special topics as well. You know, Matthew, you and I had a great conversation with John Tenuto just the week before last on The Ready Room about Khan, both pre-Space Seed Khan, then Space Seed, The Wrath of Khan, and Into Darkness, and that was truly fascinating So uh, go check that out if you haven't heard it. And then on Fridays, you'll find me with Kate Walsh on Warp 5, where we talk about Enterprise. So uh, check that out. And also, we'd like to ask you to please support our sponsors before we let you go. Your support of our sponsors is very important to helping us bring literary treks and all of our other shows to you every week. First, there's Squarespace, the web's best hosting in CMS that makes it simple for you to create a beautiful blog, website, portfolio, and online store anything that you could imagine. You're going to love Squarespace. I love it. Trek of Film is built on Squarespace. Go create your own space today. Go to squarespace.com for your free 14-day trial. There's no credit card required. Just put in your name and your email address. And in a matter of minutes, you'll be building your own site using all the great tools that Squarespace has to offer. And then when you sign up, use offer code TREK9 to save 10% off your lifetime purchase on new accounts. And be sure to choose that annual plan and get your free custom domain registration as well. We really thank Squarespace for their support of Trek FM. Also, drop by trekfan.org. Now, this isn't an ordinary Star Trek fan club. This is a chance for you to come together with other fans to collaborate and solve real-life missions and puzzles 
and win great prizes along the way. It's a way for you to take your love for Star Trek and put it into action that will help us move the world towards that Star Trek future by making a difference in the world. So support us and support TrekFan. Go over to trekfan.org, solve that first puzzle, and take the next step on your adventure. And we thank TrekFan for their support of literary treks and Trekafilm as well. And lastly, if you would personally like to support what we're doing here on the network, you can do that by going to trek.fm donate. We have eight alien-themed badges and art prints there with custom illustration by Toba Ushi, who does most of the artwork that you see on our website. You can mix and match what you want. Badges and art prints, there are different donation levels that you can choose from, and your contributions help us pay for the costs of production, storage, and bandwidth that's needed to bring this programming to you every week. So please visit trek.fm donate. Give us some support for the programming, and we really appreciate you doing that for us. We appreciate you joining us, and until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one. Recording. 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 Roberta Lincoln's ever-changing pants. <laughs> I liked that she used the uh, transporter to just change clothes. Thought that was really <laughs> right. Funny. Like, yeah, that's right. Her character <laughs> cracks me up. Well, I mean, if your transporter is a closet, why not? Right. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I, you know, I'd be doing the same thing. You know, you'd always be wearing the best. So, <laughs> it's just a form of replicator technology, really. Pretty much. So, you mean, know, you could you just know. get out of the shower, just walk naked across the room, walk right into there, come out fully mm-hmm. clothed with whatever the Beta 5 computer wanted to put on you. Of course, you'd have to be careful right. that it didn't transport you somewhere without clothing right. and well, just pop up. I mean, we, yeah. Which is exactly how Seven gets dressed. We already discussed that. So. Oh, that's right. That's how she beams into yeah. her cat suit. Okay. Exactly. That's how she, Got it. she gets into that outfit. So, And so the Beta 5 computer has silver, maroon, blue, different cat yep. suits mm-hmm. that she can beam yep. into. Exactly. Got exactly. it. Exactly. All right. So, which is why Harry Kim, again, is always on duty at 530 <laughs> in the morning in the transporter room. That's right. Okay. All right. Why don't we get the we'll get the show rolling here? <laughs>